One key to the film's appeal is that audiences like Hannibal Lecter. That's partly because he likes Starling, and we sense he would not hurt her. It's also because he is helping her search for Buffalo Bill and save the imprisoned girl. But it may also be because Hopkins, in a still, sly way, brings such wit and style to the character. He may be a cannibal, but as a dinner guest, he would give value for money. If he didn't eat you. Hey, gays and ghouls, I'm Katie Toole. And I'm Sean Reedy. And this is Friday Night Frights. A podcast about camaraderie, fine dining, and moths. Ah, uh, guess what? <laughs> what we're, is that? We're doing Silence of the Lambs! It's happening! <laughs> Finally, six weeks later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took. All it took. It's a, you know, it's a long movie. It... <laughs> <laughs> it's got a long time stamp on it, I yeah. It's... Stamp, you know, it's not, not 45 <laughs> days, but... <laughs> Almost. Almost. <laughs> just shy. Just shy. I just finished the movie yesterday and I started it four weeks ago. I started it on February 12th. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. We're slap happy already. We just started. Here we are. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So tonight <clears throat> we are discussing Silence of the Lambs, which is. One of the masterpieces of horror cinema. And I just feel like it's cinema, cinema in general. Yeah. Like, I I will go so far as to make the statement that this movie is almost perfect. Yeah. Like, about as perfect as a film can get. Mm-hmm. You know, it has one very, very glaring flaw that we will get to later. But from a filmmaking standpoint, like, mm-hmm. this is just a masterclass yeah. in, in skill. This film is a masterclass and was recognized as such when it was released. In fact, this is one of only three films in the history of the Academy Awards to win the so-called Big Five. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. Best Picture, of course. Mm -hmm. Best Director for Jonathan Demme. We are going with That's How You Say That Name, although we watched four interviews and they gave three different pronunciations. Jonathan Demme. That's what we're going with. Uh, Best Actress for Jodie Foster. Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins. And best adapted screenplay for Ted Talley. Uh, he was adapting the 1988 novel um, by Thomas Harris of the same name, mm-hmm. which I read in one sitting, by the way. You know, I have not read it because I'm bad at reading. Um, not literally, just at committing is really what it is. Right, like um, sitting down and reading. Yeah, right. I've been uh, I've been working on reading The Outsider by Stephen King for. Mm-hmm. I want to say over a year at this point. Right. It's nah, maybe not. Maybe not quite that long since August. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know. Still a decent chunk of time for sure. Yeah. I think the movie's better. Really? Yeah, I think. And, you know, you're not, you don't hear that very often because, you know, obviously, I mean, we could do an entire separate podcast on, on adaptation and, and the challenges of adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, it never captures what you see in your head. Right. Right. And I think that's why people tend to recoil from adaptations is because they've already sort of built their version of it in their head. And if it doesn't mm-hmm. match, then, you know, they, they have a 
adverse reaction to that. Um, This was a very faithful adaptation. Mm -hmm. Um, But also it just, it's a story that lends itself to the visual. That's fair. Right. It's very fair. Um, And that I, I feel like that added to it. But still a good book. Uh, I'll have to add it to my list. It'll get there. I'll get, get there. to it. The Shining's still on there, too. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a, a slight correction from last week, believe it or not. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, when we were watching uh, April Fool's Day, and there was the scene where I believe it was Arch was caught in a snare in the tree and there was a very clearly rubber snake that was being thrown at him. I said, they don't have that kind of snake in the Northeast. And I was wrong. There are in fact rattlesnakes in Massachusetts. <laughs> so I believe it's called the, the timber rattler or something like that. But, but uh, oh, okay. to, all of our, to all of our listeners in the Northeast, uh, <laughs> I apologize for getting your state snakes wrong i don't know what i'm apologizing for but it's it's it, i was wrong and i i admit what i'm wrong so i mean fair enough camp crystal clear we are here for it yeah we are here and we're in the clear <laughs> we're here we're <laughs> queer and we're in the clear <laughs> it was released this is this is a this is a uh, favorite little factoid of mine it uh, premiered in New York on January 30th, 1991. It was released wide on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Just a perfect little date movie for you. Right. Um, Happy Valentine's Day, sweetie. <laughs> Here. Here, have a glass of Chianti. Nice Chianti. <laughs> um, that's just going to get longer every time I say it. <laughs> It was made for nineteen million and grossed two hundred and seventy-two. Oh, that's all? Oh yeah. Just you know, pocket little, change. Yeah. Just a little handful of money. I don't know why they would have made multiple films after this. <laughs> I mean really, do we do we still know why? Right. Right. <laughs> Even right. so, do we know why? I mean they tried. They tried. They tried real hard. Well and and what's funny too is a lot of people forget that and we made we can maybe touch on it again later if we need mm-hmm. to, but a lot of people forget that this is not the first movie with Hannibal Lecter. It's not the first movie in Hannibal with Hannibal Lecter, and no. the novel was not the first novel. Right. Red Dragon was first. Mm-hmm. And the first movie was Manhunter. Was Manhunter. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, like I said, this this film is a technical masterclass, but also like the performances in this film. Oh yes. Like this would not have been what it was without Foster and Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins was on the screen for 24 minutes and 52 seconds, and he managed to create in that time one of the most iconic uh, characters in the history of cinema. Absolutely. I mean, everyone knows who Hannibal Lecter is. Right. People who have never even heard of this movie. Right. Know the name Hannibal Lecter and Mm -hmm. know the name Hannibal the Cannibal. Like, they they know who this is. Um, Fun fact that amount of screen time puts Hopkins uh, at the second shortest ever to win for lead actor. What's the first? David Niven um, in Separate Tables from 1958. Cool. So a film that I've never heard of. Awesome. Right. Yeah. I mean, good for him. He must have done great. Do you know who David Niven is? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's David Niven? You know, he's a guy. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so what I what I know David Niven best in was the Pink Panther series. <laughs> like oh, he was, was he the main? Nope. Oh, that was Peter Sellers. But in so in the Pink Panther, like the movie The Pink Panther, mm-hmm. which ironically was also not the first film in the Pink Panther franchise. Um, <laughs> he was the jewel thief. Oh. So he was kind of like the charming adversary to to Peter Sellers. So I said, actually, speaking again of the Oscars, I said that it was only the third film in history to win the Big Five, mm-hmm. and one has not since. Yeah. Um. The first two were It Happened One Night, mm-hmm. back in the '30s with Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert, and uh, the second one was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Right. I find it funny that like it happened one night is is like a very sweet like romance like it's a romantic comedy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the other two that one <laughs> right are, are are cuckoo's nest and this right not, <laughs> like, a, not the academy's happy. taste shifted somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hmm, this is more intriguing than a romantic comedy, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, times of mm-hmm. the times. Mm-hmm. All right, Katie. So I think it's time for us to dive into this film. Mm-hmm. But first, I think it's Shark Tale Hour. I think that was closest to a true harmony we've ever made. It. Yeah, I we'll agree. have to see when it's record when we listen to it back. Record yeah. it. We'll see. But in the room, it sounded great. In the room, it sounded great. I love it. Uh, tonight, Shark Tale is called the Census Taker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it consists of two ounces of red wine of your choice, but of course, we would recommend a nice candy. Told you. <laughs> candy. <laughs> Told you it's going to get longer every time I say it. Uh, a shot of cognac, half an ounce of dark rum, a quarter ounce of maple syrup, and two dashes of orange bitters. It's a our version of a, a sangaree, which is a very, very old drink that mm-hmm. is like an ancestor of sangria, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, a little more, a little more refined, a right. little more, little more like, fancy. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're dealing with a man with a very sophisticated palate. Yes. So, I mean, he likes fava beans and liver, <laughs> and he likes his lamb chop extra, extra rare. rare. <laughs> Despite the fact that in the interim, Hannibal Lecter has become such an iconic character, this film and this story is 100% about Clary Starling. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely 100%. Mm-hmm. Like, this was Jodie Foster's movie. Yes. Um, and Anthony Hopkins didn't steal the show. Like, you know, they were very well balanced mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of you know, their scenes together. Um, but so Jodie Foster plays Clary Starling, who is an FBI trainee um, who is interested in joining the Behavioral Sciences Unit, which is now called the Behavioral Analysis Unit. Um, because it's not science, really. Right. Like, it's not an exact science. Right. Um Back in the 80s, the idea that you could fundamentally understand serial killers was still relatively new. Yes. Right? I mean, if Mm -hmm. you've seen uh, 
if you've seen the show Manhunter. I was just literally just thinking it. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you've seen not not the movie about Hannibal Lecter, but the show, right. which was fabulous. And I'm so sad that it's like appears to not be coming back. Um, that was like the late 70s, early 80s mm-hmm. that they were even concocting the idea. Right. Right. Um, the famous like double-breasted suit incident with the bomber in New York City where the FBI agent was like, when you arrest him, he'll be wearing a double-breasted suit. Right. And then they like showed up at the guy's house and he was in his pajamas and they're like, we're arresting you. You need to go get dressed. And they were like, ha-ha. He said they'd be in a suit and he was in his pajamas. He comes out, he's in a double-breasted suit. Right? Like, right. That whole thing happened in like the late 50s. Mm-hmm. Right? So the idea that you could understand these people was still relatively new when Harris wrote the novel. Right. Um, and actually the FBI was really into this movie. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. They were like really into this movie. They, the behavioral analysis unit worked with the production. Like, uh, the FBI saw it as an opportunity to recruit more female agents Mm -hmm. because even, I mean, yes, the superiors like Crawford are male, but like, the only two cadets who you see are Starling and her friend, right. Ardelia, mm-hmm. um, who is played by... Casey Lemons. Casey Lemons. Played by Casey Lemons. Jesus. <laughs> Starling is a backwoods girl. Yes. Right? Who grew up orphaned mm-hmm. and has clawed her way to the FBI. Right. Right? Like, through pure grit and hard work like and, and smarts. Mm-hmm. She, has, she has nothing behind her. Um... And so she's ambitious. Right. Right. Oh, very much so. So when, and she wants into the BAU, right? right. So when uh, Jack Crawford, the head of the BAU, um, who's played by Scott Glenn, calls her into his office and tells her that he wants her to go interview one of the most notorious serial killers of all time, Mm -hmm. she jumps at the opportunity. I mean... Crawford, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, and just anyone in her position, like, and her ambition, who wouldn't? But, I mean. Like, absolutely get me of. in there. Right, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, get me in front of this guy. I want my signature on that report. Right. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not only was the FBI incredibly into this film, they mm-hmm. actually allowed recording. The, some of these scenes are actually recorded within the Bureau. Oh, yeah, like at Quantico? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think they really honestly did want to put this forward as an accurate representation of the FBI. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, during a time when, you know, the FBI's reputation was not that great. Right. So um, I am also of the opinion that, like, there's a direct line you can draw between Clary Starling and Dana Scully, which is also a reason I am grateful for this movie. Crawford claims that the, um, no. Crawford tells Clarice that the reason that she's going to interview Lecter is just for the general questionnaire. Right. Right? That's how the behavioral analysis unit built it's practice mm-hmm. is they literally went and asked the men themselves. Right. They sat down with them again. Watch Manhunter. It's great. Um, <laughs> they literally sat down with these men and be like, what was your childhood like? What do you dream about? Like, and, and 
built, you know, some, some pretty impressive, Mm -hmm. um, pretty accurate profiles off of that. So she immediately doesn't buy that. Oh, because she's smart. Right. Uh, she knows that Lecter was a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. before he was, um, captured and convicted and put in prison. Right. Um, and she asks if this is actually about the Buffalo Bill investigation. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill is the active serial killer on the FBI's radar at the time um, that Starling goes to interview Lecter. He has, at that time, killed five women. Right. And taken parts of their skin. Mm-hmm. Skin them. Hence his moniker, Buffalo Bill. Right. Which the modern day BAU would strongly discourage, by the way. We yeah. have. Yeah. They're like, don't give them nicknames. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, they may feed into that and enjoy it and continue. Yeah. Like, and get more ambitious. Yeah. Like, it's so some like of them, like, Son of Sam named himself, right? And they're like, like and everyone started calling him that. It's like, don't, right. stop it. <laughs> yeah, no, don't. Don't do You're the thing. Him what he wants. <laughs> So Clarice goes to talk to Lecter. Mm-hmm. And Lecter is in a high security prison. Right. I think one of the genius things about this film is that everyone acts so terrified of Hannibal Lecter, mm-hmm. but you as the audience don't see any reason for it. Yes. Like he's calm. He's courteous. Mm-hmm. He's right. Like he's, he's personable. Right. Because he's a pure psychopath, right? right. But <laughs> well, you don't. You do eventually have. You do eventually, but yeah. the that but the... turn when it does happen, you're like, oh right. <laughs> That's right. He is a cannibal. He is a monster. Yeah. And uh, so I think that the sort of like slow burn buildup of, you know, Chilton, uh, Doctor Frederick Chilton, who is really next to buffalo bill the villain of this film oh absolutely because he's such an asshole um played by anthony Heald. he tells her that you know one time lecter faked a faked a that he was choking or something and he went to the infirmary and this is what he does the nurse and he shows her a photograph but they don't show the photograph to the audience right and it, it oh my god i wanted to see it so bad you want to see it so bad Right. And there's nothing they could have shown you that would be as bad as you were imagining it. Right. No, that that aspect of the filmmaking was genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's very... There are two total acts of violence on screen mm-hmm. in this film. And during one of them, you're looking at Hannibal. Right. Like, you're not, you're not actually watching it. Like, they didn't do a long shot so you that you could see the whole scene and you could right. see him, like, actually beating the man. Mm-hmm. It's real tight on his face. Right. So there's that, and then there's, you know, when she shoots uh, gum. Right. That's mm-hmm. it. That is the violence in this film. Right. Um, and it's terrifying. Um, and, and I'm like, who the fuck? Oh, by the way, I also love the fact that not only did they film at Quantico. Sorry, I'm tying back to this a little bit. Okay. They also actually used FBI agents as as uh, stand-ins. As like extras? Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't know that. Mm hmm. So I'm sure as an FBI agent, I would have been like, I could be in a movie. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there was like a, a like double, like the, the, the film crew probably thought it was really cool that they were at the FBI and the FBI really thought it was cool that they were making a movie. Right. right? Like everyone was starstruck by everyone else. <laughs> when, when Clarice goes to actually see Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. the first time. Of course, right? So the first time, I mean, you know, they have a good back and forth. She's she's trying to get to know him a little bit and trying to, like, lead in. And then she gives him, like, and he he's good with it until she gives him the questionnaire. Right. Yes. Which he doesn't want to do the questionnaire. No. He thinks, so, but the reason he doesn't want to do the questionnaire is because he thinks it's bad psychology. Right. Like, it's not any sort of, it's it's not that, I mean, he will sit there and he will tell you all kinds of things. He tells her all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Right? But he just, he just thinks the questionnaire is dumb and a waste of his time. Right. Um, and he, he is fascinated by this young woman. Mm-hmm. And he likes her. He likes her spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? We won't talk about the whole, like, weird romance thing that happens in the following movies because I that gross but (laughs) (laughs) fuck Um, yeah um but he likes her and he I think that he sees the entire Buffalo Bill investigation with this sort of like detached interest yes right he Mm -hmm. doesn't actually care about Catherine Martin right like he literally cannot Mm mm-hmm Right. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't feel those feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's an interesting little game to him. Right. And Clarice is what makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's because he knows that she can figure it out. He does. Because let me say this, and like, I feel like we're kind of jumping the gun here, but again, movie's been out for 30 years. It's fine. So... He tells her nothing. Yeah. Like, everything that she figured out, he could have said those exact words to another person and they would have never figured it out. Mm-hmm. Like, she catches Buffalo Bill. Yep. He gives her clues, sure. Mm-hmm. But he also knows exactly who Buffalo Bill is. Like, yes. he knows exactly... He could just say his name. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is why, like... It's less like, yes, he wants out of, of the hospital. He wants away from Chilton. He hates that guy, right. right? But, like, it's more just that he's enjoying the game. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's enjoying the attention. Right. But but she finds him. Mm-hmm. Slightly sooner than she's expecting to, but she finds him. Right. <laughs> Not in the way that she necessarily wanted to. Right. But she does. Um, but she does. Really, through, like, good old-fashioned gumshoeing. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is one of the things that I love about this movie because you they could have this story could have gone a very different way, mm-hmm. right? Of just like Lecter feeding her the solution, right? And he didn't. No, he, at all. He he, he gave her, her anagrams, anagrams, and vague statements, mm-hmm. and you know. What's funny, though, is that he did end up actually describing exactly who James Gum was. Right. He just gave him the wrong name. Right. And that wasn't even to her. That was to, um, to, to Catherine uh, Martin's mom. The Ruth Martin. Ruth Martin, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, to the senator. And, yes. I mean, obviously the entirety of, of, you know, Baltimore PD and Memphis PD and right. the FBI, right? Like, everyone was there. But mm-hmm. who was not in that room was Clarice. Right. Um, because she had been shunned because they were in trouble. Right. We'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> so the first clue that he ends up giving, and this is after he's in a way upset because um thanks thank you right because, so yeah clarice's first visit does not go particularly well no. first like she's like building a rapport with Lecter, and then she like gives him the questionnaire and he ices her out and she gets up to leave and she's sexually assaulted yes by the man in the next cell mm-hmm. who unfortunately is not behind plexiglass right so um that does however you know, as as awful as that would be, it does spur Lecter to action because if there's one thing Hannibal Lecter hates, it's rudeness. Right. Right. Um, so he does give her a slight clue. Mm-hmm. Which was a fun one. And, and he said it very quickly and he thought really fast with getting that mm-hmm. clue out because it was that he wanted, he told her to look into uh, an ex-patient of his, Miss Moffat. Yes, Miss Moffat. And look inside yourself. Yes. And I'm impressed that she caught that. She's basically in her head in, you know, the 30 seconds that she was standing there. Right. Recorded what he said and had spoken to him long enough to realize that that was an odd turn of phrase for him to use. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when Jack Crawford calls her to tell her that makes is dead... <laughs> Right. Because <laughs> Lecter killed him, kind of. Um, right. <laughs> Indirectly. I'm not sure exactly how he even managed it, but I mean, whatever. Like, Biggs is dead. Right. Um, she says that she has discovered that there is a yourself self-storage mm-hmm. facility in Baltimore, um, which is where Lecter was from, uh, well, where he was caught. And so she goes to check it out. Mm-hmm. And finds a severed head. She does find a severed head. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you <laughs> well, then she finds that there is a, a storage unit that is held under the name Moffat. Yes, Hester Moffat. Hester Moffat. You need the whole name. Yes, mm-hmm. that is true. Mm-hmm. It does tie in. Um, that has not been has been prepaid for ten years. Mm-hmm. Here's why I love that. Lecter knew he was going to prison for longer than 10 years. Right. Like, he knew he was never getting out. So, like, his plan was to keep that sitting there for 10 years. And then he knew that it would, like, lapse and they would auction it off. Right. <laughs> and somebody would open it. <laughs> and there'd be a bunch of junk inside and yep. all these random assorted things and, and a car. And a really cool car. Right. Really cool car. With a severed head in it. Right. No big deal. No big deal. So she immediately goes back to the hospital and is like, uh, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. She has figured out that Hester Moffat is an anagram. Right. For uh, the rest of me. Mm-hmm. Which is not something I would have figured out in five million goddamn years. I'm terrible not, at anagrams. Yeah, no. <laughs> terrible at them. Um, so she has passed his test. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he starts to open up to her a little bit more, but only if she will also open up to him. Yes. Right. Because he is anything but a great manipulator. Right. And he knows that he, she wants and needs mm -hmm. this information that he has. And so he's going to, you know, he's going to extract information to her that really has no, no practical bearing on his life. He just finds her interesting. So Clarice finds the head. Mm hmm goes back to see Hannibal mm -hmm. and they discuss this head a little bit mm -hmm. on who this person is. So they, so he reveals that this, the head belongs to a man named Benjamin Raspail. Right. For a patient of his, um, he found him, but he was not the one that killed him. He found right. this head and kept it exactly as it is. Right. And this man whose head he kept in a jar Right. Which is the reason that he kept that head. Mm -hmm. Because he knew that the man who did this was going to do it again. Mm -hmm. And he knew that he could use it as leverage at some point. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind. Like, he didn't, he didn't keep that head as like a, as like a souvenir. No, he right? wasn't even the one that did it. So He why wasn't the one that did it. And that's one thing that, uh-huh. He ate, he ate his. Right. So. God, I fucking love when Clarice says that too. No, you ate yours. Like, so matter of fact. <laughs> right. Like, she was talking about his golf game. Mm-hmm. Well, in this, so this is the part where he's starting to describe Buffalo Bill a little bit. Because this is when he describes the man that, the well, I don't even know if he did, he addresses that it was a man. But the person that killed Benjamin Raspail mm -hmm. is, oh, no, I do believe he refers to him as male. Either way. Um, mm -hmm. That's okay. But that's okay because I know he does describe... He does describe Buffalo Bill. Not acknowledging... Let me back that, let me back that up. He does, however, describe the the man who killed Benjamin Raspail as a fledged... He describes this action as a fledging killer's first effort at transformation. Yes. Which will become important later on. Yeah. After this conversation... Um, with Lecter that they now know for sure that not only um, could he offer insight to the Buffalo Bill case, but in fact, he knows exactly who Buffalo Bill is. Mm -hmm. So they start to scheme yes. on to how to get him to reveal this information. Mm -hmm. In the middle of this, they find another body. Right. Um, Crawford brings Starling along with him. Well, and, and I will say though, before this, this is actually when Buffalo, or not when Buffalo Bill, this is when Hannibal requests the case evidence. Mm hmm He wants the case yep. evidence. To... He wants the case evidence and she, she does give it to him. Mm hmm So he can start to build a profile. Of this man who he knows. Right. Because <laughs> he's trying to pretend that he doesn't. But he... Right. Well, yeah. I mean, he is... Okay. In fairness, he is trying to pretend that he never... At this point, he is trying to pretend that he never met... Right. ...the man who killed Benjamin Raspiel. Yikes. That he only heard of him through mm -hmm. Raspiel in his therapy sessions. Right. We learn later that's not true. Mm -hmm. um, but at that point, he is. he is, you know... 
trying to pretend as if he doesn't actually know his name. They find another body uh, in West Virginia. Uh, it's an unnamed victim who has two diamond-shaped uh, sections of skin missing from her back. Mm-hmm. And a death's head moth stuffed in her throat. Right. Still in its chrysalis. Mm-hmm. I'm very sad. I had that death head moth. So I had I had bought like a I had bought like a it looked like the poster, mm-hmm. but it was an actual like mounted death's head moth in front of her mouth. Yes, go on. <laughs> I'm <And> on board. <laughs> it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And I kept it on the shelf I was keeping it on, like collapsed and it fell. Mm. And the moth broke. Oh, like no. if the frame had broken, if the glass had broken, I might have been able to like fix it. The moth itself broke in half. <laughs> it was so sad. It's okay. I'll find another one one day. Throughout the film to this point, you are learning in pieces uh, Clarice's background, mm-hmm. right? Through both her conversations with Lecter and flashbacks right. that uh, are woven pretty seamlessly mm-hmm. into the narrative, right? Um, she's clearly... You know, after she comes out of the hospital the first time that she speaks to Lecter and after Miggs has assaulted her, she remembers her father, mm-hmm. who was um, a town marshal and was killed during a robbery when she was 10 years old. Yes. You know, when she enters the funeral home, which unfortunately is the only place that the small town where the murder victim of Buffalo Bill was found that they could take a body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not really conducive to a criminal investigation but that's the best they could do um you know she's she flashes back to her father's funeral and then she you know she through her conversations with Lecter, you you hear a little bit more Mm -hmm. um but she identifies with this girl yeah and it's the first time in her sort of like rather clinical view of her training mm-hmm. and this case really sees these victims as real people and identifies with them and realizes that if she, you know, she could have very well been this girl. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that shakes her, but it also makes her more determined than ever to find right. the man who did this. She knows that the moth is significant <laughs> because it's weird. <laughs> I mean, if a serial killer does a weird thing, that's the most significant thing. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's like if there's some kind of weird thing involved, like a moth down the throat is not a normal thing. Right. Like that's not something, it's not something that you have to do. No, it's, it is intentionally put there. Right. Like yeah. it, it's not, you know, something that you, that had anything to do with the method of, of killing. No, because it was put there after she was killed. It was put there, right. It was put there post-mortem. And to kill them, he just shot them. Right. Like, he didn't do anything sort of like, you know, particularly elaborate Mm -hmm. to actually finish the job. Right. He was done with them. He shot them. It's also during this scene that Crawford plays this little, like, down-home boy thing with the town sheriff where he um, pretends that he doesn't want to discuss the gruesome details of the case in front of the little lady. Mm -hmm. And 
this rightly pisses Starling off. Oh, absolutely. Um. Well, and, and all of the other officers that are there immediately... Turn to stare at her. Yes. And she's like, cool. Thanks for putting this invisible, not necessarily target, but... This spotlight. Yeah. On me. Like, hi. Thanks for pointing out that I'm a woman. Right. Yeah. I'm just going to walk into this funeral and picture my dead dad. Right. Um, So... They have a conversation about this mm-hmm. uh, on the ride home where he's sort of like, you know, you seemed really upset by that. And he's like, you know, I didn't mean it. Like, I don't actually think that way. And she's like, it matters. Right. It matters what you say, even if you don't mean it. Mm-hmm. Because every single, because you're the FBI and every single man in that room made a decision about how to treat me when you said that. Mm-hmm. It matters. Um, she pulls a little bit of that power back when she shoes them all out of the room. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when, when you know, she says, like, allow this girl her dignity. She doesn't mm-hmm. need a whole audience here mm-hmm. to witness this. Get out of here. And, you know, no one else pipes up, but they do eventually listen to her. Yep. So, um, meanwhile... <laughs> As all this is going on in West Virginia, uh, Buffalo Bill needs a new girl. Right. And he picks the wrong one. Yeah, he sure does. Like, and this was a fatal mistake because as careful as this, and I mean, they always eventually make a mistake, right? But his mistake was not anything other than taking a woman who was going to attract a tremendous amount of attention. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, as unfortunate as it is, his previous victims were all... Small town girls. Small town girls. Living in a lonely world. Lonely world. Yes. <laughs> they could have ta- just taken a midnight train going anywhere. I mean, right. we don't even know. We don't even know. <laughs> but... This is a city girl. She wasn't born right south of Detroit, though. It's because it doesn't exist. A. <laughs> B, I think she grew up, I think it was the senator from Tennessee. Yes. Um, (laughs) But, like, had his M.O. not been so strange and so, like, sensational, Mm -hmm. like, had he not skinned them, these girls wouldn't even have made national news. Right. Right? And that's sad and it's horrible, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Right? There are, you know what did they say, 25 serial killers operating at any given time or something right. like that? He would have been just any run-of-the-mill serial killer killing country girls. Mm-hmm. He decides to abduct the daughter of a U.S. senator. Yeah. Like... Fuck up number one. Dumb. Well, not number one. Well, I mean, fuck up number one is killing people. Right. Like, let's be clear. I know we say this a lot. We are not endorsing killing people. No, 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 no. However. But this is, like, the actual, like, fuck up of his plan. Of his... Because his plan, well, I mean, I guess we can get into it. Well, I mean, what this is, is is the act that leads directly to his capture. Yes. Because the sequence of event that ultimately leads to his, well, not his capture, but his, his death, is the sheer amount of attention that this abduction was going to 
bring down on him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people were going to move mountains to find this girl. And it does exactly that. Um, I just want to talk a little bit too about the actual act of, of Buffalo Bill of, mm-hmm. of him capturing her. Yeah, sure. So I, I really, in, I, I hate, I, I hate to say the word enjoy, but like also I fully enjoy it because I mean, it's a horror movie podcast, right? Here we are. Um, because the way that they went about her capture was realistic in the in multiple ways. So mm-hmm. one, it she is trying to just be a good person. She's and, trying to be a good person, and she's wary. Right. She she wasn't wanting to go over there because she's fully aware yeah. that she is a woman alone mm-hmm. at night. Mm-hmm. Outside of her apartment building. And that's a stranger. And yes. With a van. Right. Like she she hesitates. And I mm-hmm. I also love that. Mm-hmm. Because there is a lot of, you know, there is a lot of um, victim blaming when yes. we talk about serial killers. And mm-hmm. we talk about, we mythologize, we tend to mythologize the men, right? Um, so I love the fact that she was trying to just be helpful. Mm-hmm. The one thing that, like, so tying into her being weary is when he's, and he's so casual about it, and he's smart. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, he's not dumb. He's not very Um, educated, but he's savvy. Yes. Yeah. Um, When he's trying to get the the chair in the van. Mm -hmm. And he's like, just get in the van. Right, yeah, just stay, and then I'll, yeah. And I'll lift it up. And he explains it, and she and she does. She hesitates even more. Then mm-hmm. she's like, "I shouldn't do this," mm-hmm. and she gets in anyways. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make her stupid, and that doesn't make it her fault. No, and it's just it all happens so quickly. Yes, that he like he turns so quickly that it that is really like, I mean, obviously, I've never been in in such a situation, mm-hmm. or I'd probably be dead, but. Just how quickly a situation can spiral out of your control. Right. Right? That, like, you kind of have, like, a weird feeling. Should, like, right. But you're like, he's probably harmless. It's right. fine. Like, you know, like, you never you never actually think that somebody's going to kill you and take your skin. Like, that's right. not, that doesn't even cross your mind. Normally. Right? Normally. <laughs> Like, as a woman, I, I can definitely say, like, I am hyper aware of my surroundings right. at all time. I am because you have to very be. aware if there's a, a strange man nearby, if mm-hmm. there's a man who's walking in the same direction as me, right? Even mm-hmm. if there's a man who, like, walks past me, I, like, sort of turn my head to make sure that he didn't turn around and is right. not following me, right? If there's a car that's been behind me for a while, I, like, mm-hmm. don't go directly home. Like, I do all of the, all of the, like, you know bullshit things that we as women should not have to do right (laughs) um to try to keep myself safe right but i'm sure that i would have approached that man yeah with that same feeling of trepidation Mm -hmm. but you just you're like we have to help him right right like and that scenario is Pulled directly from life. Yes. Because that is what Bundy did. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm glad that you brought that up, brought this up because again, there is this kind of victim blaming when you're talking about serial killers and especially when you're talking about somebody like Bundy where everyone talks about like how suave he was and how he charmed women and yada, yada, yada. No, he didn't. Right. He had to pretend, like he had to pretend to be hurt. Yes. Right? Like it wasn't like he just, it wasn't like he just like flashed them a smile and they got in his car. He had to pretend to be hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. More than once. Right. I mean, especially, obviously, like, his ruses had to get more elaborate as news of a serial killer spread. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, people obviously got, like, more, like, aware and Mm -hmm. less likely to approach a stranger. But, yeah, it's like... Women who are killed by serial killers are not stupid. Right. Like, there is nothing they could have done Mm -hmm. or should have done. That would have prevented their their fate. Right. The only thing, the only person who could have or should have done something different is the killer. <laughs> By not killing them. <laughs> you mean you mean the the killer has a, a choice to not kill someone? I mean he does. Oh, he does. Oh, oh. No matter how much, you know. No matter how much, you know, you have this idea in your head that they just can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. They can. Right. Well and, and just at least like, to a certain degree. Right. And just to touch on the Bundy thing a little bit more too. Mm -hmm. So I think a big reason of victim blaming being a thing too is because they really only talked about the actual victims. They didn't talk about the other women that said no. Oh yeah. He got, there were, I mean, women came out of the woodwork that were like, Mm -hmm. yeah, he approached me. He creeped me out. So I left. I left. Right. Right. It's just a matter of like being on the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. And like not. Maybe not, like, not fully, not fully trusting that, like, weirdness in your gut or Mm -hmm. just thinking, oh, he must be harmless. Like, but, you know, it wasn't because he was cute. And I really wish we would stop talking about it because, like, he wasn't even that cute. (laughs) 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 People talk about the man like he looks like a god. It's like, no, he just looks like a white man. Yeah, he looked like an average dude. He looks like a fucking yuppie. Right. That's <laughs> what he looks like. Let's be clear, he did not look like Zac Efron. Also true. <laughs> <laughs> Although he did a surprisingly good job. He did. When they cast him, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, was, I was really thrown too. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, so, wait. So, one, she got in the van. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> mm. Um... He also ended up confusing her with his question. Because right. what man asks... What person asks another person, oh, are you a size 16? What fucking weird question is that? Well, and in that situation. Right. Right, exactly. Like, what, Out of we're nowhere. talking about my clothes now? Right. So, completely thrown off. Mm-hmm. Thrown off guard. So, she was not thinking about, like, her mind went all over the place. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in that moment. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden he starts beating her with his fucking supposedly broken arm. Right. And it's just like, it's just, it's just a make, fake cast. It's just a fake cast, which right. makes a great bludgeoning weapon. As right. It, turns out. it does. <laughs> so like you said, it happened so, so fast. Right. I mean, it just mm-hmm. spiraled out of her control so quickly. And then mm-hmm. she wakes up and she's in a well. Right. And it like, it has not occurred to her. What I love is that like when... When we first see Catherine Martin in the well, Catherine Martin, by the way, is played by um, 
Brooke Smith. Yes. When we see Catherine Martin in the well, she hasn't figured out who he is. Mm -hmm. Like, she just knows that some creep abducted her. Right. She doesn't know that she's in the clutches of of Buffalo Bill. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't know that the most famous serial killer in America has her in his basement. Mm -hmm. Until she sees the fingernails. Yep. And that is such a chilling scene. It's so good. And I mean, you know, everybody... Everyone talks about that scene because, like, the line, the dialogue's a little ridiculous. A little bit. <laughs> but... A little bit. Puts a lotion on his skin or else he gets the hose again. <laughs> Motherfucking lotion in the basket! <laughs> <laughs> um, it rubs the lotion on its skin. It does whatever it's told. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, too, because he is actively dehumanizing her. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, like, he doesn't say she. Right. He doesn't call her by her name. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't know her name. I mean, I guess I don't know. I would think he must stalk his victims, right? Because he has them all over the place. Yeah. Like, he must he must do some pre-planning. Like, he doesn't just... I mean, does he just lie in wait for a woman who fits his physical type to walk by? Yeah, he had to have... He had to have known who she was, and well, he had to have, like, realized that it was a bad idea. Right. But. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, so, we should backtrack a little bit. Okay. Only because we okay. should go over something that they addressed that I actually really like that they did, is they go over the profile mm-hmm. of Buffalo Bill. Sure. After they After they leave the funeral home. Mm-hmm. Of the third victim. No. Sixth. Yep. <laughs> third times two. Yeah. <laughs> the second third one. Right. right. <laughs> well, and the reason that I had three in my head is because of one of the things that he does. He keeps his victims for three days. Yes. He keeps his victims for three days. Uh, that is something that's a little bit different in the book. He keeps them for two weeks in the book. And it... Seems like that would be more of a appropriate time frame to for what he's trying to do. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. don't know how much you could really starve someone to the fact that their skin would be looser in three days. Yeah. I'd just be really hungry. Yeah. I'd just be grumpy. Right. At that point. You'd just be, yeah. You'd be swearing up yeah. a storm like Oh my God. <laughs> that man would not have wanted to caught me at no. three days without food. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker, I'll eat you. <laughs> They say your name's Buffalo Bill. (laughs) Buffalo Wings. (laughs) Buffalo Burger. (laughs) You met my my friend Hannibal? (laughs) I was going to say, did we just suddenly turn into candles? I I, I mean, it's apropos. (laughs) So, so yes, he, he keeps his victims alive for three days, removes sections of their skin after they're dead. First, he shoots them. To kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is when they, they acknowledge that the... F- this is kind of when they first talk about the first victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the first victim was the only one that was weighed down. Yes, he dumps them in rivers. Mm-hmm. And his first victim, he actually weighted down. So she wasn't found um, until two others had already been found. Right. So she was found third, mm-hmm. but time of death made it clear that she was the first victim. Mm-hmm. And uh, her name was Frederica uh, Bimmel. Oh, 
It's also important to note that at this point, they have no idea what he's doing with the skin. No, they do not. He's only taken like certain portions. He's not fully skinning them. He, mm-hmm. They don't know. Maybe he's eating it. He don't know. But they, he's mm-hmm. not taking like the fleshy part. That would be right. something. I mean, I know that this is gross, but he's not taking the meat. No, he's just taking the He's just taking the skin. The skin mm-hmm. Right? Like, so, I mean, unless he's making freaking cracklins out of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Is he eating it? Probably not. Right? So. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> cracklins. Oh. I'll never eat a pork rind again in my life. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> um, so they don't have any idea what he's doing with the skin. Mm-hmm. They also identify him as a white male. Right. Because... Based on the victimology. Yes, because you tend to have victims in your own demographic. Yes. Yep. That is not as hard and fast a rule as they once thought it was. Right. Um, But it's still a tendency that Mm -hmm. people tend to kill in their own race. If only because that's who they have access to. Right. Right? Right. Like... You know, if you're talking about the the grim sleeper in L.A. who was a black man who killed mostly black women, it it was a predominantly African-American area where he mm-hmm. was working. Right. Right? Like, Ted Bundy was in, like, Washington State in Colorado. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, I'm sure there's, like, deeper reasons than that um, that you would you know, only kill within your own race, but right. the ones who are indiscriminate tend to be mobile. Yep. So it's just like whomever they come across. Right. Right. Um, so I think it's, I think it's definitely at least partly about access. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's a major aspect of psychology within it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm no expert on, well, much of anything, but certainly not on criminal profiling, despite all the true crime I watch. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, same. Sometimes I try to talk like I am, but I mean, I don't know. My degree's in art history. What, what the fuck? Um, I don't have a degree, so here we are. <laughs> here we are. Um, oh, so the other aspects of him, by the way, so he has his own house because... It takes time. Yes. He needs privacy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that he could be doing this in an apartment or so I know some people live in hotels. There's no way he would be able to do this here. Um, He's roughly 30 to 40 years old and has moderate strength. In any case, the abduction of Catherine Martin absolutely kicks the investigation into the high gear. Oh, absolutely. Because they know that unless he has deviated from his MO, Mm -hmm. she's still alive. Yep. And they have the chance to save her. And she's the daughter of a U.S. US senator. Right. Right. Um, so her mother is immediately on TV pleading with Buffalo Bill to send her home. Mm-hmm. She's using, you know, all of the classic sort of, um, you know, psychological uh, tricks. Mm-hmm. Right. Like calling her only by her name. They're showing her baby pictures. They're like trying to humanize her in any way they can because... Buffalo Bill is acting to dehumanize her. So right. they're trying to remind him that she's human. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if he watches the news. But 
Crawford and Starling come up with a plan to offer Lecter a transfer um, out of Chilton's hospital uh, into a, a different psychiatric hospital and uh, the chance to go to a small island and live relatively freely for one week out of the year. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he says he says that he will help them. Mm-hmm. And she a- gives him the case file. Right. The larger case file. Mm-hmm. And the key to this, too, is that if Catherine ends up dying, then he doesn't get anything. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To this fake bread. <laughs> right. So what we learn is that they are trying to trick him. Right. Um, and it would have worked. Let me rephrase. They had tricked him. Right. Um, he fully believed it. But uh, Chilton had bugged his cell. Yep. Because he was sick of Starling not giving him information. Right. So... And he wanted, like, he realized at this point that this had to do with this very high-profile case and he wanted his name attached to it, Mm -hmm. right? Crawford gets a call from the director of the FBI, who is not happy. But who is, by the way, and I had never noticed this before, and I've seen this man in person, but I still didn't realize it was him. Uh, The FBI director, who's, like, on the phone scolding Crawford, Mm -hmm. is Roger Corman. Really? Yep. Yep. Isn't that fun? (laughs) Isn't that fun? It's the little cameo by Roger Corman. Right. Um, So Crawford and Starling are officially taken off the case. The senator actually makes a real deal Mm -hmm. with Lecter. Um, Not involving the, like, you know, yearly vacations, but at least a transfer. Right. Out of Chilton's clutches. Mm -hmm. And really, Chilton is perfectly, like, willing to let him go. Like... The only reason Chilton enjoys having him is because he's such a high-profile prisoner. Right. Like, he doesn't... It's not out of any... Despite what he says at the beginning, it's not out of any actual, like, scientific curiosity or, or, you know, greater good. He just likes having the world's most famous serial killer in his hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, So, he's willing to let him go since he will now have, like, this big get of, of Buffalo Bill. Right. Uh, it is at this point that he describes Buffalo Bill to the senator. Yes. And admits that he has met him. Mm-hmm. And tells him or tells them that his name is Lewis Friend. Right. Which is a bald faced lie. Full on lie. And Clarice knows it. Mm-hmm. She's trying to work out the anagram. In the elevator. Right. Like, she's like, there's no way this guy's name is Lewis Friend. No. There's no way. Um, so Clarice sneaks into where they're holding him, which is like the world's most overdramatic, like the most overdramatic cage. <laughs> like, yeah. why didn't they just take him to jail? <laughs> why didn't they take him directly to the hospital where he was supposed to have been kept? Yeah. Like, why was he in this like giant circus cage? In the middle of a ballroom. Yeah, it made literally no sense. It made no sense. I mean, it visually visuals. it was stunning. Yeah, yeah it was great. 
They're like, this is really beautiful. Let's put this murder in You know, here. yeah, it's, this is really beautiful. Like, yeah, the, the production designers and Jonathan Demme were like, eh, it's fine. Right. I mean, he likes art. We don't so need to know why. We'll just put him with his art. We don't need to know why the entire operation is being run out of this building and we can't take him somewhere else. Like, because phones don't exist. If something happened. Um, but Clarice does sneak in. So yeah, so this yeah, this is when she sneaks in and mm-hmm. and he ends up giving her more information. This is also when she calls him on his anagram. She calls him on his anagram, which is uh, iron sulfide. Mm-hmm. Louis' friend is an anagram for iron sulfide, which is fool's gold. Um, she offers as her part of the quid pro quo um, the story of why she ran away mm-hmm. from her cousins i think cousins ranch i believe yes so yes yes and it is uh it was because she woke up one morning and witnessed them slaughtering the spring lambs yes and she is to this day haunted by the cries Mm -hmm. of those lambs hence the name of the novel flash film right right that she wanted to save the lambs and she couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so Lecter asks her if she saves Catherine Martin, will the lambs stop screaming? Mm-hmm. Right. And he gives her more information. He gives her the case file back with like some of his notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she goes back to Quantico mm-hmm. because she's been taken off the case. Right. And and one one well key... Chilton Chilton finds out she's in there and oh, yeah, has her gets, escorted out. Yeah. But and then she goes back to Quantico. Right. But no one well one key element that another key clue that he ends up giving her besides mm-hmm. the case file is he he's asking what Buffalo Bill is doing. Oh right yes. He covets. Yes. Which is a key element that she uses to. Right. Figure out who he is. That at its core, Mm -hmm. what he is doing is he covets. Mm -hmm. And how does one begin to covet? Yes. You know, like the biblical, you know, the original sort of like biblical, like what is it? The third commandment or something. I don't know. Fourth commandment. It's like, you know, thou shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Well, it's, you see her every day. Right. She's your neighbor's wife. Mm -hmm. Meaning she's also your neighbor. Right. right. So, um, yes, that is a very important piece of information that he gives her for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Chilton comes and finds her and has her escorted out. She goes back to Quantico. Right. So this is strangely the point in the film where Lecter has his most impactful sequence mm-hmm. and also kind of ends his time in the film yeah like after the sequence you don't see him again until the last scene Mm -hmm. like from this moment on it is the clary show yeah right Mm -hmm. um and it's a good it's a good like what 25 minutes oh yeah at least like straight where you just don't even Mm -hmm. they don't even mention him no he's just gone. right he's just gone um because he's gone (laughs) right (laughs) he left he 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 left um 
I do want to tell this little anecdote because we got to this scene in the movie and my girlfriend, who is not a fan of horror at all, was like, can you pause it? Because I feel like something bad's about to happen. And I like scrambled for the remote because I'm like, yes, yeah, something bad's absolutely <laughs> about to happen. You are correct. Um, so after Clarice leaves... He draws a photo. He draws a portrait of her so quickly that it is. Oh, we also. No, I did say that she heard the lamb screaming. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he draws a portrait of her so fast that I think it might be the least realistic thing in the film. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Uh, because like it's this you know. Gorgeous, polished, finished, work of like her in this very sort of like. Um, it's very reminiscent of like a, a Da Vinci right. pose, right? Where mm-hmm. she's like, and she's holding the lamb and it's like this perfect likeness of her face. And I'm like, you didn't do that in the last 10 fucking minutes. What the fuck just happened? Um, like, I get it that you're supposed to be the sort of like savant when it comes to drawing, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Did not do it. Did not happen. But anyway. So he's had a plan all along. Mm-hmm. Like... Like I said, he's had a plan since he put that head in that car eight years before. Oh, yeah. Like, because he knew that eventually this man, who he calls Louis Friend, mm-hmm. is going to kill again. Mm-hmm. And when this storage unit is opened, they will, you know, trace it back to him. And he will be a part of its investigation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when Chilton is, and it's so funny, it's, it's kind of hilarious how much we all hate Chilton because he is an asshole, but the person we see him being an asshole to the most is Hannibal. Yep. <laughs> like, he's an asshole to Clarice. Oh, absolutely. Sure. But... but, like, he's, he's outright abusive to Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And we as the audience, this goes back to the the Roger Ebert quote that we used at the beginning um, that like we're like mad that he's being mean to Hannibal a serial killer right <laughs> um, but yeah there's there is this sort of weird tension there where you like kind of realize like why the fuck do I care how this guy is being treated but also fuck this guy like I don't like him go mm-hmm. eat him like right you're like cheering Hannibal on right um but so Hannibal has like okay long story short Hannibal at one point steals Chilton's pen Mm -hmm. and I think it is significant to Hannibal that he pulls this off with Chilton's pen right um he orders a second dinner Mm -hmm. lamb chops extra rare because he's nothing if a cheeky bastard. Right. And uh, has taken the pen apart in such a way that he could use it as a lockpick. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they have this system, which is really quite ingenious. Like, if he hadn't had the pen, it would have worked. Where they had him put his, you know, hands behind the bars. Mm-hmm. Like, through the bars. So that they could handcuff him on the outside. And he would be sort of, like, attached to the bars of mm-hmm. the cage. Right? They come in. They have actually treated him mostly with respect. Right. Like, I think that 
And, and I think that this speaks to his ruthlessness, right? Because they are just doing their jobs and mm-hmm. they don't do anything to him, right? In fact, there's even this like moment of real kindness when the one of them, I think it's Pembry, actually goes to put the tray down mm-hmm. and he says, you know, not on the drawings. And he actually takes the time to move the drawings because they are important to this man. He's not going to mess them up. Right. Right. And it's just, you know, out of human decency. Mm-hmm. I imagine also a little bit out of fear. That's true. Yes. <laughs> true. <laughs> but but I but I do agree that because it's... you probably want to stay on Hannibal Lecter's good side. I mean, I feel like I would in like, general. Please don't <laughs> eat like me. Oh, I'm a very polite person. I'm so polite. I yes. promise. I'm so well mannered. Sorry, my liver. Um. <laughs> so he picks the lock on the handcuffs mm-hmm. and he attacks. Mm-hmm. viciously and this is the moment that I was talking about earlier where we do see I mean I guess we see him like biting the guy's face mm-hmm. but we see it from behind right so you like you see a spray of blood but then like when the guy pulls away he's got his hands over his face mm-hmm. I should not put my hands over my face while we're recording <laughs> He's got his hands over his face, so you can't really see the wound, mm-hmm. right? And then once he starts beating him, the camera's facing Hannibal, mm-hmm. right? And it's this for very sort of almost almost like ballet, right? The sort of grace with which he's like mm-hmm. landing these blows and the um, the blood battering on on his you know pristine white uniform which Mm -hmm. was anthony hopkins idea by the way genius they were gonna put him in orange like a normal prison jumpsuit and he was like no no no. i should be in white and it was it was genius because like that blood wouldn't have stood out like that on orange Mm -hmm. right um so this is This is actually one of the scenes that I would point to of just how technically brilliant this film is. It was nominated for the Oscar for Best Film Editing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It lost to JFK, which like, okay. But I don't know. I still kind of think it should have won. Yeah. (laughs) Because, my God. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, all you see... Camera's on Hannibal. He's beating the guy. He picks up a knife. And, you know. You can't escape it. He picks up a knife and he walks out of frame. Mm-hmm. Right? Um... At some point, everyone else in the courthouse realizes that something's very wrong. Right. And they go in and they find uh, I think it's Pembry. Pembry is the one who is still alive. Pembry's the one who's still alive. Oh, that's right. Okay, so it's the yeah. other one. Yep. Um, who has been 
killed and mounted mm-hmm. in this Christ-like pose, but also kind of reminiscent of a moth. Right. Right. Because he's got the sort of like fabric going mm-hmm. out from him, so it kind of looks like wings, um, on the top of the cage. Now, mind you, this whole event takes place in the matter of like half an hour. Right. So in his very real need to escape, mm-hmm. he still took the time to do this. He took the time to do this. He he did so much in a small amount of time. He did this. Right. And he completely swapped out the, the clothes and oh, that's true. cut off a man's face. Right. With surgical precision. Uh-huh. I mean, I get it. He's a doctor. But right. like, you know, I mean, psychiatrists do go to med school, but come on. Right. Like, goddamn. Goddamn. But also, yes. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think that this scheme would work. Like, I right. don't think that people would look at him and be like, that's clearly John, that's clearly Pembry's face. Right. And not like, that's obviously a face that just got cut off of somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does. He he mounts the man on the cage. Mm-hmm. He switches out the clothes with Pembry. Cuts off Pembry's face. Puts Pembry in the elevator shaft. Mm-hmm. And then like lays down. And gets ready right. for them to come get him. Mm-hmm. Um, and also has the time to adjust the lighting to just look beautiful. Right. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a spectacular shot, mm-hmm. but it's like, come on. Um, so they come in. And the way that it's... The way that it's filmed, you think he's already gone. Mm-hmm. Like, you as an audience member are just as surprised by his actual plan, Mm -hmm. right, as anyone involved is, because you don't see it happen, Mm -hmm. right? Because this this is the beauty of this understated filmmaking, is because you don't see him cut off the guy's face. So... There is no reason for you to like automatically assume that the man on the floor is Hannibal Lecter. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so they put him in the ambulance and they go, so they put quote unquote Pembry in the ambulance and mm-hmm. they go looking for Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find him on the roof of the elevator and they realize almost simultaneously with the very unfortunate paramedic who's in the ambulance with quote-unquote Pembry, Mm -hmm. um, that the man they just put in the ambulance was in fact Hannibal Lecter, Mm -hmm. wearing Pembry's face. Which is fascinating. Because, I mean, he does it for a practical reason. But Hannibal didn't skin people. Right. Bill does that. Uh Uh-huh. Right? So, like, it's, it's this weird, like, juxtaposition. And you kind of think that that might be... A little last haha mm-hmm. is that he kind of adopted this man's mo on his way out the door right right um but then he's gone he disappears kills the paramedic obviously right. and then he disappears mm-hmm. a really quick thing by the way yeah that i wanted to address so remember when we were watching this uh-huh. and i was like that cop kind of looks like uh oh shoot what do they say mm. um paul rudd yeah remember that uh-huh. so you know who that is 
Paul Rudd. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me rephrase. Do you know who the cop actually was? No. Chris Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair. Chris Isaac, the singer, by the way. <laughs> so she goes back to Quantico. Mm-hmm. And they go searching uh, the sort of rest of the FBI. Including Crawford. Crawford gets let back on the case, but Starling doesn't. Well, yep. I guess she's a trainee. Right. So I think, I mean, part of the reason Cla- Crawford was in trouble is because he sent a trainee in to talk to <laughs> Hannibal fucking right. Lecter. Like, that's actually, that's actually what I think the director's really mad about. Yep. He's like, did you send a trainee? <laughs> And Crawford's like, oh, yeah, yes, I might have. It was a long time ago. Um, We're talking about this now. This happened so long. So the rest of the investigation goes in search of the elusive Lewis friend. Right. Uh, they of course figure out that that they also figure out that that's a fake name mm-hmm. very quickly because they cannot find that person. Right. Um, but they track him down, so they think. Through the moths. Right. Right. Because mm-hmm. there was a um, man who fit the profile, fit the description mm-hmm. that Lecter gave to a T. And had been the sort of stated recipient of a uh, shipment of these caterpillars that would become these moths. So I want to... I do want to touch on that because it it that aspect did kind of confuse me a little bit because they had a picture of someone else but they actually had his name james gum is buffalo bill yes but they had a picture of a different man do they of what i noticed what it seemed like they did and it and it was it was his actual address they caught him but they didn't actually catch him because he wasn't at his house Right, like he did own that house. Right. But he didn't live there. Right. Right. Um, That was part of the way that he hid because he knew that if anyone ever found his name out, they would go to that house and find it empty. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is why, you know, his name wasn't attached to the house he was actually in because he had killed the owner and put her in a bathtub. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Which just absolute clear allusion to Psycho, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. But meanwhile, Clarice has discovered something very important. Clarice has deduced something very important mm-hmm. um, based on her discussion with her friend Ardelia, who mm-hmm. doesn't get enough credit. No, She's right there with her. Right. right? Um, and the clues that Lecter gave her that the reason that Frederica Bimmel was weighted down was because Buffalo Bill knew her personally. Yes. And she could be tied to him directly, mm-hmm. unlike the rest of his victims who were random. Yes. Right. Crawford has Starling follow her line of investigation because she's in Ohio mm-hmm. looking into the life of this uh, Bimmel girl, the first victim. Right. Gather evidence. Mm-hmm. Right. Because... Finding Catherine Martin in this man's possession would not necessarily be evidence that he was Buffalo Bill. Right. Right. 
Now, mind you, there was plenty of evidence in that house <laughs> that he was Buffalo Bill. So she's looking into the life of the Bimmel girl, um, asking around if she had a boyfriend because she finds some photos of her, uh, like in her underwear, some like Polaroids mm-hmm. that somebody was clearly she was, you know, posing for somebody. Right. Um, talks to friends, finds out that she was a seamstress mm-hmm. and that, you know, she used to work for. Uh, this this local woman who, who was a seamstress. Mm-hmm. So when she is going through Frederica's room, she finds a dress in the closet mm-hmm. that has taped out in the back two darts that are diamond-shaped pieces of fabric. Mm-hmm. And it is this point that Clary Starling, not anybody else, Figures out exactly what Buffalo Bill is doing with the skin. Mm-hmm. He's making a woman suit. Now we should address this. Yeah. Jame Gum is not a trans woman. No. <laughs> not even, not anywhere near. James Gum's pathology is in no way consistent with any kind of like gender or body dysphoria. No, not at, at all. all. That's not what that is. Mm-hmm. That's not what that does. That's not what causes people to do the things that he does. Mm-hmm. Making a woman suit or not. And this is important. It's important because in 1991, I mean, it would be important now, obviously, as well. But in 1991, especially because there were not any positive representations of trans people at the time. Nope. At all. As sort of fans of horror in particular, Mm -hmm. we need to address this because horror has a history of using sort of gender nonconformity or alternative sexualities as an automatic marker for deviance. Yes. Yeah. It's like they're tied together. Right. It's like automatic. Mm -hmm. Well, of course he's a quote unquote freak. Mm -hmm. Obviously he's skinning women. No, there's no through line there. No. (laughs) Jane Gum does not want to be a woman. Like if this, if this man exactly as he is really existed, he would not want to be a woman. That's, that's not what he, you know, That's not what he would be about. Mm -hmm. To the film's credit, they do have a conversation in which Clarice actually defends, she says transsexuals, which was the term at the time, right? Right. So uh, she does say that there is no association between like trans people and them committing acts of violence. Right. Right. To which Lecter replies that he's not a real transsexual. Right. Okay. The problem with that argument is that that is exactly the argument behind a lot of, like, anti-trans hate speech Mm -hmm. and anti-trans rhetoric is that they aren't real. 
and that trans women are not women, they're men in drag who are, right. you know, potentially, or that at least some of them are cishet men dressing up as women in order to gain access to female spaces so that they can hurt women. There is absolutely no documented case of this ever happening. Nope. Ever. However, this is not the first case of gender nonconformity being associated with violence and deviance in mm -hmm. the history of horror. Right. Right? The first one that comes to mind, of course, is Psycho. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So in Psycho, the, the cross-dressing of Norman Bates is a plot device. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a plot device to throw the audience off from thinking that he's the killer because they right. see a silhouette of an old woman. Right. Exactly. Right? It's a way to like make it look like the killer's the mother. Mm -hmm. um, but then they're saying that like he has this sort of dissociative personality disorder and he's having a psychotic break and he's he's delusional and he has the, the wherewithal and the forethought to put on a costume. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. So... <laughs> You know, there's that. And this film definitely draws influence from Psycho. Mm -hmm. A ton of it. Right? Um, but, you know, that's not all. The other one that came to mind immediately when I started thinking about this was Sleepaway Camp. Oh. Oh. Which, like, I mean, we're talking, we're taking the caliber of film down about 50 notches. Where we're oh, talking about, like, right. Psycho or Silence of the Lambs and then Sleepaway Camp. But... In Sleepaway Camp, there's, like, allusions to, like, gender and sexuality all through it that are mm -hmm. never explained. <laughs> right. Like, the, the child loses his father and his sister, and you're led to believe that it is the girl who survived, right? Mm hmm Because there's a girl. And the child in the movie, the actress is cis like that's a cis woman right girl i mean she's pretty young but <laughs> and then throughout they had like this this weird thing where like they kept flashing back to them as children the two twins the boy and the girl as twin like the twins watching their father with this man which is like so weird because it's it's played off in the movie as if that's supposed to be shocking mm -hmm. but like I'm wondering if there's, like, a director's cut out there of Sleepaway Camp, actually. Because, like, the father and this man clearly have a very loving relationship. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, every yeah. no, definitely. every time they show them, like, it's clear that they are they have a very loving relationship. Mm -hmm. But, like, that this somehow had some sort of, like, influence on this child. <laughs> and then at the end, the big reveal... <laughs> Isn't that she's the killer. Right. It's that she has a penis. Right. Right? Like, the the police officer who's, like, searching for the killer comes upon a 13-year-old child, naked, mm -hmm. covered in blood, holding the decapitated head of another child. And his comment is, oh my god, she's a boy. Right. <laughs> That's what you notice out of this entire tableau? Right. We're like, sir, please, please focus at the topic at hand. The topic in, <laughs> in her hand. Right? Like you're focusing on the wrong part of the body. Um, right next to that penis <laughs> is a head. Is a head. She just <laughs> cut off a child. 
And what is, I mean, this is unfortunate in a lot of ways, but what is unfortunate about it is that it's often not necessary, mm-hmm. right? Like Hitchcock could have achieved the twist in Psycho that it was Norman and not the mother in another way. Right. Right. Sleepaway Camp could have been about a girl who went crazy. Like, it could have just been the girl the whole time. It could have been the boy who died. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and here, like I said, Jane Gum could have been doing exactly what he did and not have it any way tied to gender identity whatsoever. At all. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But I actually want to bring up one more example because this one really drives me nuts. Do you watch Criminal Minds? I haven't, and I need to. Okay. So, I used to be absolutely obsessed with Criminal Minds. Mm -hmm. Criminal Minds is actually about the BAU. So, like, it ties into this movie, strangely. But I got a little mad at Criminal Minds because of all the women they killed, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. Season 1, episode 19 of Criminal Minds is called Machismo, right? Mm -hmm. And it is about... uh, It is a sort of pulled directly from the headlines story, as their stories often are. Like, usually their plots are based on real cases. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have found out later that even the more extreme cases where you think, like, oh, this has to be just for TV are actually based on true stories, and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with people? (laughs) The case in question here was that of Juana Barraza, Mm -hmm. right? A.K.A. the old lady killer. Right. Juana Barraza was a Mexican serial killer who may have killed 50 people all old women mm-hmm. right and in many ways she was your classic um you know in many ways she was a classic serial killer with the exception of course that there was no like sexual assault element mm-hmm. um she would often bludgeon these old ladies to death which is, like, an extremely violent way. Like, most killers don't bludgeon. Even mm-hmm. serial killers. Right. Only a few of them bludgeon. Because it's just such a labor-intensive way to kill someone. Like, it's just, like, such an energy-intensive way to kill someone. Right. It's a whole um, lot easier to just shoot someone. Yeah, exactly. Just some throat. Like... You know? Zodiac. Bang. Bye. Right? right? Um, so... Juana Barraza was a woman, mm-hmm. right? And she was actually, like, a female wrestler, like, Mexican wrestler, <laughs> called, like, the Lady of Silence or something. Um, but what she would do, her ruse, was she would pose as a social worker. Right. To gain entry into these women's homes, right? She would mm-hmm. come and, and say that she was with, you know, whatever agency, like, the Mexican equivalent of Medicare, Right. Mm-hmm. And she would say, oh, I'm, I'm a nurse or something. I need to do a health check. These women would let her in. They would let her in, A, because she said that she was a government official, and B, because she was a woman. Right. Right? Um, so they let her in, and then she would bludgeon and rob them. Okay. Season 1, episode 19 of Criminal Minds is called Machismo. Mm-hmm. It is this exact case, except the killer is a man who's dressing up as a woman. So they had an actual female serial killer. Right. Which is rare. 
and would have been infinitely more interesting, right? But instead they decided to make it a man who was using the ruse of being a woman to hurt people. Like I said, it was unnecessary to make Buffalo Bill even a quote-unquote fake transsexual. Right. Right. The reason that I say that they could have made Buffalo Bill the exact same killer without all the gender stuff Mm -hmm. is because he's based on a real person. Right. I mean, he's a composite of several serial killers. Yeah, but he's mainly... But he's mainly Ed Gein, who is technically not a serial killer. But that's semantics. It's neither here nor there. He was primarily a grave robber, right? Ed Gein was born in Wisconsin uh, in 1906. He had this very strange, sheltered, weird, abusive upbringing, Mm -hmm. right? And then his mother died. I mean, I think his father had died years before. His his brother died at one point, um, which, who at the time was his only competition for his mother's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't when they were children. Like, this is when they were adults, right? Um, and the manner in which his brother died was kind of suspicious. But, like, they were never able to prove anything. They didn't really investigate it that hard. They were just kind of like, oh, he died. It was an accident. Blah, blah. It was a fire. But, mm. Um, so. Very sus, Ed. Hmm? <laughs> Very sus, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> you sus. <laughs> um. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> Sorry. Primarily, primarily he was a grave robber. Mm-hmm. Um, he is known to have killed two women, uh, a Mary Hogan in 1954, and then Bernice Warden in 1957. And that's the one that got him caught. Mm-hmm. Um, because he left evidence and he left witnesses. So the police and the police show up to Ed Gein's house. Can you imagine? They show up to Ed Gein's house, and one of the first things they see is the body of Bernice Warden hanging in the barn dressed out like a deer hanging upside down split down in the middle guts removed right mm-hmm. like the way that you process a deer carcass right which one time my neighbor was doing that in his garage and i didn't know that that was a thing that people did and so i just walked out and there was like a dressed out deer hanging in the garage next door it was pretty traumatic imagine that imagine how dramatic that was and then human instead of deer what's ironic is i actually had the exact same thing happen except for it was my dad Right. And he had killed a deer and didn't let me know and was hanging a deer in the in the barn. Right. Yeah. 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 Not ready for that no, one. No, don't don't do it. <laughs> Little warning. Maybe a sign. Or just like take it to a facility and have somebody else do it. Um anyway, neither here nor there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One would think that was the most horrific thing they found. Right. One would be wrong. Because when they went into the house, they found myriad Objects made from human remains. Mm-hmm. Both the remains of the women he killed and remains of, of, I mean, I think dozens of bodies that he had dug up. Mm-hmm. He had bowls made out of skulls, like literally cartoon stuff, right? He had a belt that was made out of uh, 
women's nipples? Not kidding. <laughs> so weird. He had so weird. I, yeah, I mean, he like this was. I mean, there has never been like there have been some pretty gruesome mm-hmm. crime scenes. I don't think there's ever been anything quite like the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Like even though he didn't kill that many people, just the sheer like ghoulishness mm-hmm. of what he did do uh, was enough to like just make him instantly like one of the notorious most notorious figures in the history of crime right and like one of the most famous killers of all time and uh almost almost an urban legend right except it's true the man really did have a nipple belt Mm -hmm. he really did have a woman dressed out like a deer in his in his uh barn and he really did have various objects made out of remains he had lampshades that were made out of human skin which by the way is also something the nazis did um he had i mean he had lots of things i mean you can you can read up about it there's plenty of information out there and a lot of movie villains are said to be based on ed keen mm-hmm. to varying degrees right um Norman Bates and Psycho. Uh, Leatherface. I think the closest one is probably Buffalo Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, I would say the most realistic. The most realistic, like, the yeah, the closest sort of analog, the most realistic, like, most likely to actually, most likely that this person, this killer could exist. Mm-hmm. And it's based on Ed Gein is definitely Buffalo Bill. Right. Um, that being said, one of the reasons, one of the things that they pulled from the Ed Gein case was the woman suit. Mm-hmm. Because Gein was building one. Uh, he had the sort of top half of it done when he was captured. So it was almost like a, like a vest, mm-hmm. right? That he could sort of wrap around himself. And he did claim that he did claim that he targeted women who reminded him of his mother and that he was essentially building the woman's suit so that he could quote unquote be his mother, that he could inhabit her skin, that he could bring her back to life. So there was the woman's suit and he was going to wear it. Mm-hmm. However, there has never, in the extensive analysis of this crime, been any indication nor any suggestion that Ed Gein wanted to be a woman, despite having a woman suit, right? Mm-hmm. Because wearing a woman's suit is not about wanting to be a woman. It is about possession. Yep. In every sense of the word. Like... Mm-hmm. Inhabiting his mother's skin. Being inside her. Which is gross on 87 levels. But, like, there is no uh, way that you can, like, further objectify a woman than to literally make objects out of the woman. Right? So, 
if you have a killer who is based on Ed Gein, it has nothing to do with his gender identity. Mm-hmm. It has to do with wanting to possess these women. So in many ways, like, not only was the the gender identity issue with Buffalo Bill unnecessary, but it was actually, like, inaccurate. Right? Like, that's mm-hmm. not the pathology that a killer like this would have. Right. But the point is that, like, horror as a whole has to do better. Mm-hmm. They have to do better. Because there's also, like, a, a clear association, just not even, like, trans identities, but just queerness in general as an automatic sign of, of yep. deviance, right? Um, you know, why why can't we have trans characters in horror films who are not the killer, who are not the quote-unquote freak? Why can't we have... Give me a trans final girl. Oh my god, please. That's what I want. Please. Give me a trans final girl. Mm-hmm. And... Side note, this is like a note to all of Hollywood, not just horror movies. Cast a trans woman to play her. (laughs) But, like, it matters. Mm -hmm. Like Clarice says to Crawford when he's discussing his antics at the funeral home, Mm -hmm. it matters. Yeah. Because people in 1991 watched this movie and associated... A man who wanted to be a woman, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, with these horrific acts. Mm -hmm. And this movie was widely watched, clearly, hugely successful, hugely acclaimed. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate in general because it it did harm to the trans community. Mm -hmm. And that's the most unfortunate thing. But it's unfortunate also because it was unnecessary Mm -hmm. and because this movie is almost perfect. Right. So they just didn't need it. So the task force is going to Chicago to arrest James Gum. Mm-hmm. Clarice is instructed by Crawford to stay in Ohio to try to gather evidence. Yes. Mm-hmm. This sequence, in my opinion, is one of the best in Ugh. movies. Like, it, they were like, hey, we just did this fucking thing with Hannibal. Yeah. We threw you this beautiful sequence of, like, throwing you off the trail. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but more so. But more. Because you at least had a general idea. With, <laughs> right. Like, you knew Hannibal was killing people and escaping, mm-hmm. at the very least. Right. right. You knew that he'd probably done something pretty sneaky. You knew that more people were probably going to get hurt. This, you had no idea. And it's such it's such a soft reveal, mm-hmm. too. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a beautiful moment. As there is this parallel between the task force trying to enter the home mm-hmm. in Chicago that is owned by James Gum. And Clarice knocking on the door of uh, the woman who Frederica Bimmel used to work for, right? We should point out that, and it's only, I only want to point it out because it ties into it, that she specifically rings the doorbell. 
Oh, right. I'm sorry. I said knocking on the door. No worries. Right. Obviously, mm-hmm. she rings the doorbell. Right. Right. She's ringing the doorbell. Mm-hmm. And they're ringing the doorbell in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's going back and forth. Right. Right. And every time the agent who is posing as a flower delivery man or something, every time he presses the doorbell in Chicago, the alarm in uh, Bill's basement goes off. Mm-hmm. Right. So the alarm is clearly tied to the doorbell. Right. Right. This goes back and forth several times. And then there's just this shot where you see this shot where you see the man who you know is Buffalo Bill because you just watched him dancing with somebody's scalp on his head. Right. Right. Well, and you've seen him throughout the movie. Right. right? Like, mm-hmm. we see him. We just don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, open the door and there's Clarice standing there. Like, it's such a soft reveal. It's such like a come down. From the right. tension of that alarm going off and then like them looking around and the alarm going off and them looking around and then them like getting ready to do a hard entry, right? And then he opens the door and Clarice is just standing there. And she just smiles and starts her introductions and says that she's, you know, investigating the death of Frederica Bimmel. And it's not until after that that the task force in Chicago actually makes its hard entry and realize the house is empty. Yep. So you find out before they do. Mm-hmm. Well, and then and then you have Clarice getting invited into the house, right? Mm-hmm. So he invites her in because he's like, oh. He says he's going to find a phone number for her. Yeah. Of someone like else the, she can talk to. Yeah, it was yeah. like the son or the brother mm-hmm. or something like that of of the of um, Mrs. Lipman that lived in that house. Right. Which, right? like, I kind of, is that, is he related to the woman or did he just work for her? Is that ever explained? I don't think that they ever actually explain that. Um, I mean, I guess he says that he worked for her. Right. So if we are like, if we're believing him. Right. That is like a weird, a, a weird almost plot hole though, that I don't, I right. may yeah. have just missed it. Yeah. Um, but no, he, he is like, oh no, she doesn't live here anymore. I ended up taking over this house, but I think I have the number of her son. Or her, yeah. I want to say it was her son. Yeah, I think um, he said her son. And so, you know, Clary's come in and... She, like, starts to immediately realize that she's in the right place. At the worst time. Because she's alone. Right. Yeah. So, uh, she notices that he's kind of acting strangely. Like, mm-hmm. he wants her to come into the kitchen. Right. Because he's got a gun in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But he's like, he doesn't, he doesn't walk out back toward the door to hand her the card. He like beckons her to him, mm-hmm. which like is again, is again this moment where you would like sort of feel like, why don't you just come out here and give it to me? Right. Why are you trying to draw me deeper into the house? Mm-hmm. Right. So she starts to get like bad vibes. I think just as a woman mm-hmm. and as an investigator. And then she turns her head and sees him off. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> Can I use your phone, please? <laughs> <laughs> and she's made, right? Like he, he knows she saw them off. He mm-hmm. knows that she knows exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. And so the chase is on. Right. He grabs his gun. He runs to the basement. Um, 
And again, this is just a wild, like, last 20 minutes of this film. Oh, God, it's wonderful. Um, in between that, like, in between, you know, as, as sort of quiet as this film was for most of its running time. Mm-hmm. And then you have, in rapid succession, like, Lecter breaking out, the sort of dual, the sort of, like, dueling scenes of the task force and Clarice. Mm-hmm. And then this chase through the basement. She's on his turf. Mm-hmm. She's alone. She's a trainee, which, like, right. again, we should bring that back. Right. She's not even an agent. <laughs> like, 22 years old. Right. Um. She's running into the basement of this man's house. A man who skins women. Right. <laughs> um. And then when she gets down there, she finds she finds Catherine Martin, mm-hmm. <laughs> which actually might I, I might have lied that might her her dialogue in that moment might be my favorite oh, in the so movie. Good. You fucking bitch! <laughs> Don't you let me down here? Because it is. It's like exactly how. Right. Like, you'd be like, "What do you mean you're leaving? Like you just found me. Rescue me now!" Like, like hi, get me the fuck out of right. this. Right. She was like, "Hold fucking on." Well. She was like, yeah, the police are on their way. And she's like, oh, right? Like, she doesn't know. She didn't have a chance to call for backup. Right. So. <laughs> so she's she's going around this basement. It's this sort of, like, very large sort of labyrinthal cellar. That almost seems like it's a little disorienting because it almost seems like it's too big for the house. Yes. Right? Um, so it's like maybe he dug it out more. Mm-hmm. Um, but he ends up turning off the lights and putting on night vision goggles, Mm -hmm. which a, what the fuck? (laughs) Because he was standing behind her. He could have just shot her. Right. He was playing with her. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and him playing with her got him killed, but he couldn't help himself. Like, even in this emergency situation, he needed the fear, mm-hmm. right? So he has the night vision goggles, which I, okay, I suppose that, like, he probably has night vision goggles for his, like, being a killer. Yeah, he... Like, he, for stalking people and stuff. He, there was a, a really quick moment, in, like, towards the beginning of the film, I think it was when he was stalking... Oh, when he was stalking yeah. Catherine Martin, I guess he does put them on. Yep. Yeah, he does, you're right. For just a moment, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, you see her... From his point of view. Mm-hmm. For almost the entire sequence. Right. Like every so often, like they'll do a re- reverse shot back to his face. But for the most part, you are seeing Clarice from his point of view through the night vision. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't actually have Jodie Foster in the dark, it was a remarkable piece of acting. Oh, yeah. She absolutely... Like, I... She had to actually be in the dark. She right? had to have been. But also just like how strange and unnatural it looked to watch somebody stumble through the dark even though you could see. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you could see her fully. Like everything looked, you know, relatively normal to you. But like you could tell she was stumbling through the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's chasing her through the basement mm-hmm. with the night vision goggles. He's right behind her. He's about to shoot her. He cocks the gun. 
And she hears that, spins around, fires blind, hits him in the chest. Yep. Just keeps firing. Uh, one of the bullets ricochets and hits the window, and now you have light. He lies dying on the floor. She calls for backup. <laughs> they get Catherine Martin out of the well. Right. She graduates FBI school. There's a big cake. <laughs> there is a big cake. It's a big ass cake. <laughs> Just of the emblem of the FBI. No big deal. Yeah. Um. So this is the point, though. So she's graduating. She's graduating. She gets congratulated. And she gets a call. She gets a call. A call of congratulations. Right. From her friend, Dr. Lecter. <laughs> Who just happens to be on a little vacation? A little, little holiday. Right. And he, and he tells her, he's like, don't try to track this. Don't try to come after me. I'm not, I'm not going to come after you. Right. Like, you have nothing to fear of me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I can't promise that, but... <laughs> she's like, I'm an FBI agent. You're a fugitive. I can't... <laughs> Also, like, I mean, I guess she has the respect of at least not lying to him. But she did lie to him. She absolutely lied to him. But in that moment, she didn't. But she also, she does respect him. She does. Oh, absolutely. Like, her feelings for Lecter are much more complicated than his feelings for her. Yep. Like, he just finds her interesting. Mm -hmm. And, like, he finds her, like, as a little puzzle. Right. Right. And he does respect her. Mm -hmm. Because she passed all of his tests. Right. And she won, you know, she won this game of chess. Mm-hmm. She found the bad guy. She killed him. She saved the girl. You know. The princess was, in fact, in this castle. <laughs> Sorry. You mean she got to the end of the game? She did. And she powered up. Um, <laughs> to FBI agent. Leveled up. Leveled up to FBI agent. Um... But she does, she respects him. Mm-hmm. Because he's brilliant. Right. He's absolutely brilliant. He's also a monster. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult for her to separate. Um, and difficult for us as the audience to separate. Right. Right? Which is part of the reason why his attack on the police officers is so jarring. Mm-hmm. Because, like, we want him to eat children. Like, we straight up want him to kill children. Oh, yeah. Because, like, we are made to, like, hate that character. Mm-hmm. And we are, like, egging Hannibal on to mm-hmm. take that guy out, right? But, like, these are two innocent bystanders. Right. Which is, like, such a weird, like, you know, this, like, weird, like, weird morality mm-hmm. of, like, that Hannibal only kills you know, the rude, essentially. Right. Right. Like, he only kills those who have done wrong in some way. Mm -hmm. But these men did nothing wrong. They were just in his way. Right. Right? Exactly. So it's like, no, he's just a killer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's a killer who kills people. It doesn't matter what the reason is. No, absolutely. He's a killer. Um, He may have his quote-unquote rules, but there's always an exception. Right. And it's like, if you get in his way... Goodbye. Yeah. Thanks for your face. It tasted... delicious (laughs) delicious <laughs> you suppose he ate it had a little snack it's a little chip <laughs> a it's like a little nibble god that's terrible <laughs> um anyway 
I think my favorite part of this scene too is is what he says. Because again, Hannibal's a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but when he's like, "I'm having a friend for dinner," <laughs> I have to go. I'm having a friend for dinner. <laughs> And I and Clary's because she's also no dummy knows exactly what the fuck he means. Yep. And so she's like, you know, she's just like Doctor Elector, Doctor Elector, <laughs> Doctor Elector. <laughs> she's like whispering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you start screaming, like he's on the phone. Yeah. Like, but she's not going to, because a, she does respect him, mm-hmm. and b again, don't want to get on his bad side, right? Especially now that he's. On the loose. Yep. Like, that man at large, you want him to like you. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, that is finally Silence of the Lambs. Yay, we did it. Here we are. Here we are. We did the damn, damn thing. thing. <laughs> Join us next time for us. Jordan Peele's masterpiece. Oh, uh, so, 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 so good. I'm so excited. Uh, so much commentary. So much, what the fuck does this mean? Oh my god. <laughs> what the fuck does this mean? I love it, but what does it mean? <laughs> so until then, like and subscribe us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. You can follow us on Instagram at F and Frights Podcast. And then on Twitter at F and Frights Pod. You can find us on Facebook at Friday Night Frights. Of course, we have our website, fnfrightspodcast.com. And feel free if you have anything that you want to scream at us, ah. <laughs> go ahead and send us a, shoot us an email at scream at fnfrightspodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have our Fright Club um, on the lovely Patreon. Mm-hmm. And Katie, yes, what is the first rule of Fright Club? The first rule of Fright Club is don't piss off a cannibal. Yeah, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. He's going to take your face. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't want it because it's taking a verse on. It's going to be on his face. <laughs> make a sandwich. <laughs> going to eat you. So, gays and ghouls, tune in next Friday night. You'll be in for a fright. But until then, sleep tight. <laughs>